You're listening to The Early Stages by APX, Europe's leading early-stage investor and accelerator program for digital startups. We discovered in episode one that a startup is nothing without its team. But sometimes finding the right team can be the most difficult step of the startup journey. In this episode, we speak with two founders and Jörg Reinbold, one of the founding managing directors at APX, to gain a better understanding of what to look for in a co-founder, how to hire employees, how to attract the best talent, and whether or not it's a good idea to found a company with a friend. Every startup needs a core team. While your baby may have started in your garage with your best friend from university, you are going to need to bring in those C-level players to take things to the next level. But who forms part of your C-suite? I think the one we should all be familiar with is the CEO. That's your chief executive officer. But we've also got a chief operating officer, a chief financial officer, even a chief technology officer, and there are a whole lot more. But just to bring it back, what if you've got an idea but you don't have a team. Nowadays, there are many places to find those core members and new employees. Hey, I'm Jörg. I'm uh, one of the managing directors of APX. It depends very much on, on whom you want to connect with. I personally, I love Toa, for example. And then there's like meetups. We do lots of events at APX where people can come and, and spend evenings with us at least once per week. There are events that are monthly all over Germany, I think. And I, that that's another thing. You also have to be careful to not to be at events only. So you also need to work. So I try to, to have a very good plan who goes to attend which event when. And then we try not to be only at events because that's uh, here in Berlin an opportunity, at least when it's not Corona crisis. Um, you can go to an event every night probably to two events every night. Lucas Rintel, a founder who went through the APX Accelerator program, utilized the meetups taking place in his own city. He and his co-founder Florian Polak launched Rectag, a Berlin-based podcasting discovery platform. Yes, definitely there's a, there's a meetup in Berlin. It's called the CoFound. It is, I think, organized on a half-year basis or quarterly basis or so. We went there out of interest yeah to to just see what people are there and it, it's super nice to network and people actually go there to find co-founders and uh, I, don't, I don't i was never in the position that we had to look for co-founder in that way but nevertheless we went uh, to just check the scene and yeah people there were pretty decent and pretty nice and the organizers of this of this meetup they kind of organized this kind of in a speed dating style so there are some pitches where you can apply and then in the beginning you have drinks and everything and they ring a bell and then you just mingle and it actually works which is pretty cool so you get to talk to a lot of people and see whether you hit it off or not. More often than not you don't actually need to look too far to find your core team. I'm Benedict. I'm Chris. And I'm Gabriel. Together we founded Jealousy. We directly sell to consumers and in return, they get control over their personal data, no matter where the data is stored. Chris Laumann, the co-founder and co-CEO of Delacy, started his venture with his childhood friend, Benedict Gondolf. They had a mutual desire to found a company and saw the perfect opportunity in data security. Benedict and I know each other from school. We used to go skiing together. We went to the same um, school from fifth grade on. So that was... Mm. um, where we 
knew each other for years before we came together and said, okay, we want to found a company. He was just graduating university and I um, said, okay, this is the perfect timing. And we both always thought about different ideas. So we both had a long list of things and we said, okay, we're going to take two weeks and spend alternate days at his place and at my place and uh, pitch those ideas and discuss and test. And in the end, I think we had like 15 ideas and we decided to take none of them because <laughs> neither of us could convince the other that this idea was the greatest thing ever. And then we thought, okay, there is this GDPR right stuff and uh, what, what can we do with that? And I, I only had brief contact with it before. And then we figured, yeah, actually there's more to it. And then that's the, where the rabbit hole started and mm. where we got into it. Similarly, Lucas and Florian also knew each other prior to founding Rectag. So the initial idea for this audio social network for Rectag, we call it Rectag 1.0, <laughs> was born from... So I had the very first idea to do something in the market and I approached Florian, my co-founder, uh, as the very first person to talk about this. We knew each other from, from the previous startup we worked at, which was called Care, or is called CareShip. We started in the same team, so... We knew how it is working together. We then split floor, went into product management, and I went into marketing. And uh, yeah, but I, we had a good vibe and we knew, okay, I knew I can work with him and he, he might be a good match to, to co-found the company. And then, yeah, we started brainstorming together. And then this very first idea, the, this very first concept of Rectech was born. How did you know that you were a good match for each other? Was it because of your similarities or maybe did he fill gaps that you might have had? Yes. So, so first we worked in a team for, I think it was two or three months. So we knew how it is working together. He has some skill sets I don't have. I have some skill sets he doesn't have. And I think what was also interesting, and we talked about it recently, Flo and I, was, is that we weren't friends, like best friends before. You know, we, we were working colleagues and we had, had a good vibe and we could separate that, you know. So I think that helped. Because, yeah, there's, there was less risk in ruining a long-lasting friendship, for instance, you know. And it was just a good working vibe we, we had. And that's how we got to know each other. So it felt natural working with somebody on this project. I don't know about you, but I was always told never go into business with friends or family. But Delacy and Rectag are two examples of the many successful businesses that were actually founded by a team of friends. Just look at Apple, Microsoft, Airbnb, Warby Parker, even Ben & Jerry's. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be careful. Things can potentially turn south when issues arise. And there are no surprises then that many find that this inherently complicates a business relationship and that friendship can get in the way of the startup or vice versa. It depends. Um, so so uh, I think there's two answers to that. Like Hiring friends should always be very well considered. I have some friends whom I would hire immediately and whom I would work with immediately. And I have other friends where I would try not to work with them because our friendship is so valuable to me that I wouldn't want to risk it in, in like a working or investor-investee relationship. So this is something you really need to think about because in the end, when it comes to making a tough decision, what do you choose? Do you choose your friendship or do you choose the company? Mm -hmm. And... Hopefully you will never get to a decision like this, but 
in a company environment, especially if you have like shareholders and, and are like a really incorporated organization, you most likely will have to choose the company over your friendship. And that is something that you, I think, need to consider first, what you want to do and, and how you want to do this in case of a conflict. Mm. So that can be difficult. That being said, Lucas points out that becoming close as co-founders is an absolutely natural byproduct of working and growing together. So he is a very close friend now because you spend so much time with each other. And it's, 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 I think it's crucial to talk with each other about everything mm. because eventually we try and lead a company here and try and build a company. So the worst thing that could happen is that we kind of have a fight between us or let's say a power fight or whatever, you know, it's the worst thing that could happen to the company. So in that sense, it's very, very important that we keep a healthy base of communication. And that communication is critical. Not only in the beginning stages, but for as long as the company operates. So many companies suffer when their founders aren't on the same page. And it's important to maintain an open dialogue and healthy debate culture when working together. Yeah, I think what, what is like really important is to, to establish a communication culture and a culture how to agree, a culture how to make decisions, and also a culture how to disagree. And that's an ongoing thing for me as well. I think I'm at APX we are very good on how do we want to agree, how do we how do we want to make decisions. We are not fully good at like disagreeing in a way that that we can do this in an efficient way where we do not have a, a too much human fr friction. I will call it. So that that's something I think a good a good company needs like. A culture where you can like make really quick decisions, implement them and execute, have a good way to to discuss things and and create an environment where the best idea wins, no matter who has it. And also have a culture where you can disagree in a in a way that leads to a solution. And I think this you you have to start building this culture as a foundation when you start to work with more than one person. And usually when, when you start as like a three-person team, it's a natural thing to do. But once you add people you don't know very well, you, you need to create systems that, that they can join this dynamic where the good things of, of your culture stay, but your, your, your culture also evolves into into the next level and the next level of company culture that you need in order to, to be like a performance-oriented company that can execute and deliver. Chris says that he and Benedict partake in healthy debates when it comes to business. But they are able to keep their business and their personal lives separate. I think two things are important here. One, never get personal. One, always stay within the debate of the, the thing you're discussing and never say okay you are only motivated to say this because you are angry about what your girlfriend said the other day this is this is not helping and it's mm. usually not true so this is something to to avoid and then also to be aware that this is the the level of of honesty required to get something out of a debate because you, what you never want to do, the alternative would be to say, okay, we're, we're all staying very nice and this way we're going to avoid saying something just because it wouldn't be nice.
these early stages, it's you, your idea, and maybe one or two others. You're doing everything together, juggling multiple balls, wearing multiple hats. And this works in the beginning because it's all you have. But as you grow as a team, one of the most critical ways to ensure that you stay on track is to build out clearly defined roles as early on as possible. Lucas says that this was integral in the early days of Rectag. So we, we, we said, okay, the, the strategic planning and the outlook, let's say, um, going into investments, going into yeah, laying out, okay, which direction should we go? We actually take these decisions together as, as three co-founders, initially Flo and I. And then we said, okay, it's, it's, it's quite important to split our tasks into our specialties. So for me, it was more in, into going into marketing, more into performance marketing, online marketing, and rolling out a strategy there. And for Flo, it was, yeah, came kind of intuitive that he's going to do the, the, the product management side because he had the experience from, from Careship before. And also his, his legal thinking kind of helps in, in some ways. Yeah. So this was kind of, we did, we did a split from the beginning based on our skills, which helped. So, so, so we reduced the chaos. So the tasks were pretty clear. Yeah. And some things we do together. Chris says that being strict about these roles has helped his team find a good working balance. Yeah, with two founders who have seemingly similar profiles, like Benedict and I do, mm-hmm. it's really important to set the boundaries where which topic is is going to be worked on by who. And we have the, the guidelines that everything that is related to marketing, that is market research, and everything related to promotion and product development from a non-technical perspective that is all benedict's area and i have no business dealing with this as long as he's not involved so uh, if something comes up a question regarding that i can just forward this to benedict without without being involved and also for for my part everything that is partnership everything that is financing everything that is the the business development side of things there is no question that benedict will forward any contact regarding that to me and we do still of course discuss everything uh, and everything broader um together but we need to be strict about this because otherwise we are just getting to into each other's hair can you take me through how you are strict about this because it's one thing saying that you're going to keep it separate, especially in those founding stages. And another thing entirely, having the discipline to like not answer that email, even though you know that you can and having to pass it on to somebody else. Do you have any systems in place that you could share with us that really made that work for you? The the thing is that usually it's quite clear who has to take care of something because say an inquiry comes in, some other party wants to collaborate with us. That is usually my part till it gets too too close to Benedict's and then, then he he can take over that. So we discuss this if it comes up, if it's really a question. But most of the time, because we have defined things so clearly, we know okay, a topic that comes up is clearly one of us's. Whether you're hiring a developer, a growth hacker, or even an intern, bringing others into the company and your idea can be a make-or-break moment in the startup journey. Lucas says he always knew that they would need a team and started planning this phase far in advance. At what point did you realize that you and Florian were not going to be enough? You couldn't shoulder the burden of this founding stage uh, well just quite, the two of you uh, quite quite naturally because mm. uh, we knew from the very beginning that 
the two of us cannot do this project by ourselves because none of us is actually a, a, a programmer. <laughs> so we naturally we had to find somebody to to kick this off. Um, somebody who is experienced who, who is experienced with machine learning. So actually a high 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 profile co-founder CTO. Um, so that was true, like clear from the very beginning. While the startup landscape is ever changing, the core values of hiring and a successful team culture seem to remain the same. Interestingly, Jörg Grindbolt recalls that this was true even before our current era of LinkedIn and Indeed and Monster, when back in 1994 he was hiring for his first company, Denkwerk. There are a lot of things and also very few that I learned mm-hmm. or very few important ones. And I, I, I think what the environment in which I have started companies has changed quite a bit. Back when we started Denkwerk years ago, there was not so much of a venture capital or investment scene. So the money that we used to, to build the company was money that we earned. So it was a very organic growth that mm-hmm. we had and we didn't want to borrow any money from everyone from from anyone so we invested all the money we made into the people we hired and we were very careful in selecting people and also actually we the first people we hired were were our friends and so we we knew them quite well and then once we started to get bigger we started to hire people who had more like normal CVs and we basically tried to find people who could help us do the things that we wanted to do so we we took a lot of not t- yeah we took time but it didn't take long but we interviewed people intensely on who they are what they want to do where they want to go where they want to grow and try to be as open as possible in in discussing if this will be possible within our organization whether you're finding them on linkedin or going through multiple rounds of interviews It's important to not only find people to do the work and to fill in the gaps, but find people who match your company values and take on the company vision. Jörg really puts it quite nicely. And back then, we had like two rules that we always talked about. One was we would consider our company or our team like a a basket full of apples. You have to be very careful to not throw a bad apple into that basket because that will have very negative uh, consequences for all the other apples in in the basket and and the other rule is we always try to hire people who can do things better than ourselves which was pretty easy back then um, because we were like in our very early 20s uh, we were students and we were running this company and we 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 knew that we didn't know that much but we had very clear ideas of what we wanted to do and what we did so with florian uh it just really felt felt right because we we are kind of complementary and we I knew how it was working with him it, it was fun but also disciplined so that, um, I li- I liked that so I thought yeah it just felt like a natural fit and and how we approach hiring is we we talk so our philosophy is we want to hire talents and and let's say not the not the best ranked positions with 10, 20 years experience now um, in, in marketing, let's say. But we want to hire motivated people who are passionate, uh, who fit the team. Team fit is very, uh, very important for us. 
and then obviously uh, they need to have some skills. Let's say a developer needs to yeah be willing to develop in front end or back end, of course. Marketing, passionate about marketing, some natural things. We always take the, this, the hiring decision, uh, the three of us, so Michi, Flo and I. Um, and if if there's an issue, if not all three agree, then we don't hire. I think that's 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 the most crucial step here. The the best way is always to go through your network um to find people that you know either directly or that somebody knows who you know because if you are being introduced to someone by their application to your job ad it's always an interview process it's always like hiring a person and it's always um, a game of you trying to find out the most genuine Uh, information about that person and that person always and, and understandably tries to look good mm. and there is no there's no genuine getting to know each other there's no being really introduced and if you look for a founder if you want to build a team on sea level if you want to have somebody who's who has shares and a big stake in the company you actually need to know them better than you can in an interview process where you actually meet three, four or five times. That's also something when, when I talk to, to startups, I always encourage them to really write a job description because you can only find what you are looking for when you know what you are looking for. And if you are unspecific in, in what you actually want, you will find someone who's also unspecific. This person can might be very good, but maybe it's not what you need in the long term. And then Once, once you start working uh, with each other, you figure out mm, that was something that we actually needed only for three months and now we need something different. And, but this is not the person who, who can do this. So we need a new person or we need this person to change. Finding exactly what you're looking for in a team member has become a whole lot easier as more and more teams are expanding beyond their own geographic locations when searching for new talent. You can have teams spread across continents and time zones, all working on the same projects together. Chris says that this is a huge advantage to him and his team when it comes to seeking out new members. For remote teams, I think the, the great advantage of it is that you can look anywhere. So really utilize that because it makes up for much of the much of the downsides of working remotely. So if you have the talent pool of the planet available, then you um, should really tap into that. And our team, the, the developers are all remote, also usually are spread all over Europe, Asia and Africa. So we have found people in, in places we've never been. So mm. that is something that I would advise to, to utilize. I think you can already do it completely virtually. I do think that meeting in person is super nice and, and we should do that from time to time. But we also hired people not having met, met them in person ever. And we um, also invested in companies who we have not met in person ever. Mm. We met through video calls, through group talks, through different kinds of online formats. It doesn't matter if you're looking for somebody right next to you or across the globe. Who you hire and why you hire them are vital in ensuring long-term team cohesion and success. That superstar CV on LinkedIn might look tempting, but is it really the right fit? Some some teams don't they don't really interview people. They they just meet someone and then hire them. 
it can be good, but it, it, it not necessarily is the solution. That's one thing. Hiring superstars. Sometimes um, I made the impression that people who have this like super slick, great CV are actually not that great humans that you want to spend too much time with. And I think it's always the an interesting or an, an important um, thing to, on the one hand, try to hire top performers and, on the other hand, developing for you, and that's a very individual thing, a culture that you want to have and, and a set of values. Hiring is just the start of it. There is a lot that goes into getting your new employees on board and up to speed with operations. How did you then manage the actual onboarding process of your new team members? That that was a, like a, a bit funny story because like the uh, first day we, we had planned through, we got an onboarding document, we got all the passwords or accounts set up and he came in and he got introduced to, to all the tools. And then at the end of the day, his, his first task was to rework the document he just used because we said, okay, you now got the experience <laughs> and how it is to be onboarded. Can you, can you rework that? Because you're actually the first person to do that. So. This is something um, we we continuously do is have the people work on things that are actually needed to be there in place mm. for them to be onboarded. So you need someone who can really hire people and who who can help you to to create like an onboarding process where you welcome people at scale, where you explain to them this is how we do things at scale, where you show them how things work and where you have built the resources to to get them up to speed and i think this this starts when you when you're like more than 10 people you can th start to think about how does my documentation work so that people can 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 read themselves into into the company or welcome videos or whatever you want to do or an intranet and and there are lots of easy to do things that will bring people up to speed a lot faster or shadowing concepts or there are lots of things you can do, but you have to do them. So you can't just hire people and then think they'll be productive. You need to help them to become productive. And I think you, you need to like slowly but steadily create like a, a human resources department or people and culture or however you want to call it. Just people who want to grow and work with the people who work at the company. And I think this can be one or two people in the beginning, but it's, it's I think, a core functionality of, of a, a good company. Finding the perfect fit is essential, but it can take time. According to Chris, much longer than you think. And you might run the risk of losing momentum while you become so consumed by the recruiting and onboarding process. In the meantime... Chris suggests looking into other options. I think for a startup, inertia is really some something to pay attention to. If you got things moving, you have a lot of potential to to actually grow faster. The the speed is key here. So you don't want to lose that while you are looking for the perfect person to to join you. Mm. In order to to manage both, I would recommend go with freelancers, go with people who know that they're not part of the founding team but who can deliver value and and help you get forward and you of course need to to come up with some sort of compensation for them but i would recommend that you scrape the money together somehow 
and rather pay a freelancer than to onboard somebody you're not fully convinced uh, as a founding member because mm -hmm. that's also unfair to them. They need to know um, where they stand in the team. Are they a founder or are they not? And for the freelancers, that's clear. As we've learned in this episode, whether you're reaching out to your network for your C-suite or you're hiring freelancers from abroad, building a team requires a clear vision and time. The time to find people who match your company culture, want to partner with you, and believe in your idea as much as you do. Um, now, looking back, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you think founders have during this period of the founding journey? Was there anything that you found was a lot easier than you thought it would be? Or were there some challenges that you faced that you weren't expecting? Um, regarding the team building, it's really it's taking much longer than you might think. And you need to look for the right candidate. And even if it takes six months, um, and it might even take a year, uh, because there is no, you cannot make a mistake there. There's, there's so many startups. Actually, I think that's the most common thing that kills them is differences in the team. And this is totally internally. And you need to avoid that by finding the right people who can actually work together. And that can take a long time. Thank you to Lucas, Jörg and Chris for taking the time to speak with us. And on the next episode, we speak with Jonas Vosler, Dimitri Gartner and Maya Markovitz about what it's like to quit your day job and dive into the life of a founder. I mean, if there's one thing you cannot have is self-doubt. Taking the leap needs to feel not like something which is really tough, but something you feel like you have to do in order to really get to where you want to get. This episode of The Early Stages was produced by Bear Radio for APX and hosted by me, Julia Joubert.